Hey, good morning, everybody. We are so happy to have each of you here this uh, Sunday morning, even as Pastor Jeff mentioned there. Would, uh, I would encourage you, wish him a happy um, 68th birthday today. He walked out the door, so he didn't hear that, so make it 72. All right, there you go. All right, that's, that's, what, that's, what, I, that's what I think would be, uh, I think that would be a great encouragement to him with that. Hey, we are so happy that you are here, and we are going to be starting a new series this week, even, even as was just mentioned there, um, and, and it is the good work because changing the world is what Jesus, di- is what Jesus died for. And uh, as we start this series, I just, want, I just want to encourage you in your walk with Christ. Every week as we go, as we finish up last week with crazy faith, as we finish that series, um, every week I, I just want us as individuals to realize that there is a next step in your walk with Christ. If you are here and you're not a believer, that first step is putting your faith and trust in Christ, um, in, that, in that individual who died for our sins, right? The God-man who came and died for our sins. That, that, is your, that is your next step in this journey if you are not a follower of Christ. But if you are a follower of Christ, we all know that there are different steps that we are all along. Some people are way ahead of us down the road in Christianity. And then some of us were lagging behind. But each one of us, all right, each one of us, we're taking that step. And you've heard me say it before. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back, right, in your life. But that is why we are forgiven. We are forgiven by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful and we celebrate that. It is, it is Christ that died so that the world could be changed. And this week, we are going to be taking a look at this idea of the good work. Um, before we do that, any of you ever, any of you ever think of somebody that, uh, that just in, that inspires you with boldness? Notice I said inspires you with boldness. Because sometimes you might be able to think of that person that doesn't inspire you with boldness, but you're rather a little less boldness, correct? I, I, want, I want you to think on the good side. People that inspire you with boldness, right? Um, you, you can probably think of a few people, um, and you think maybe that they are brave as well. That is one of the things that I want to talk about this morning is boldness in our lives, all right? Having the boldness, this kind of goes back even to the idea of crazy faith, wavy faith, wavy faith, stepping out of the boat, right? But it goes along with the idea of having boldness, boldness in our lives. Sometimes we look around and we're like, uh, I, I, I can't do anything great because I'm a little too fearful, right? I, I, I'm not that brave, um, I'm just a little nervous, right? And, and we allow that, and we think boldness is reserved for certain special people. And yet, I, I just want to let you know that each one of you in here, and I, and I believe this, each one of us in here, we have within us boldness to do what's right when we see something that is needed. But sometimes we allow fear to step in and knock that away from us. Um, I, I'm going to mention a name, and, I, and I'll bet you don't know this name, um, but it's, a, but it's an example. Toya Graham. Anybody know that name? I'm going to tell you, every one of you know this individual, though. And, uh, and we'll go back about six years, Baltimore riots. All right? Um, I know there's been a few more riots since then around our country, but go back about six years, Baltimore riots, that were the, just the riots that were occurring in Baltimore back at that time, I think 2015, 2014, 2015, and that range there. Toya Graham is the lady that you saw on the news that walked out and grabbed her 
son, right? Do you guys remember that now? As I, as I mentioned that, you saw that on the news. It was the lady that walked out. Her son was dressed up and ready to go down and uh, cause some of the issues um, and cause some of the rioting, the looting and stuff like that. And she walked out and grabbed her son. When she was asked on the news if she was nervous about embarrassing her son, do you know what her response was? No. She's there like, no, I was worried about my son. I was worried about my boy. I wasn't worried that he might be embarrassed. I was worried what he was going to do, and I didn't want him down doing that, and I didn't want him end up... Suddenly, boldness sprung out of a woman. I, I, don't know that we've, I don't know that we've heard a lot about her since then, but boldness, she sprung into action, right? And went out and responded. Um, let, let me give you, let me give you an, um, some, some other names. Um, Boldness coming out in our, in our lives. Um, th- this one might not be so bold, but it's a bold idea. I, I was joking about this this morning with uh, my friend Bruce over here, but Starbucks. Any of you drinking Starbucks this morning? Yeah, how many of you have a large Starbucks? You have a large one this morning because you're like, yeah, the speaker at church. <laughs> you didn't need to laugh. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Didn't Ruth do a tremendous job this morning? Yeah, she did a tremendous job this morning. Give her, yeah, there you go. Um, anyway, anyway, some Starbucks. Did you ever think about this? A bold idea is a guy's charging $4 or more, $5 for a cup of coffee. That's a bold idea. And yet we gladly do it. I don't because I don't drink coffee. But um, many of you do. You gladly go and do it. What did he realize about coffee that was different? He realized that it was about community. It was about experience, right? About people coming together and he built a community and a group of people that love Starbucks, right? And they, they want to go to Starbucks. Why? Because he realized he had this bold idea and he stepped out and did something. That's in the business world. And you're like, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's a businessman. And that's, but right there's two examples. One of a mom, all right? Just seeing a need and stepping out. One of a businessman who says, you know what, I think I can turn coffee into this idea where I can get five bucks for a cup of coffee and people will gladly pay it, all right? And they go and they do that. Lives get changed. Lives get changed when people see a need, when people respond and they step out and they see a need. Bob Pierce, there's another name you may not have heard of. Um, but Bob Pierce, anybody in here, have you ever been to a Christian concert, Christian music concert? Anybody? Nobody. All right. Well, if you ever go to a Christian concert, all right, somewhere, if you go to any of them, all right, you are going to hear this thing called World Vision that's presented. Any of you have heard of World Vision? Bob Pierce, you know where the idea for World Vision started? Bob Pierce was visiting China. And uh, there was a woman there that needed some money, if I understand the story correctly. He gave her $5 to help feed her child. And suddenly he realized if $5 could make such a huge difference in this individual's life, in this woman's life, in raising a child, maybe, maybe there's more people that could get involved. And he caught a vision. Was it, was it something that he's there like, wow, this is... A, no, it wasn't anything that he had, he had gone over to China expecting to do, but rather seeing a need, suddenly in boldness, he, he was emboldened to step forward and say, you know what, if I can give $5, probably somebody else can give $5. And if somebody else can give $5, maybe a lot of people. And now any Christian concert you go to, you're going to see a World Vision card handed out. And millions, millions of kids are reached through just that small idea of somebody seeing a need. 
Anybody familiar with Tom's Shoes? I'll give you one more. Tom's Shoes? I'm not real familiar with Tom's Shoes, but I, but I was listening. I heard this story this week, right? Tom's Shoes. What, what was it based on? It was based on the idea of buy one, give one, right? You buy one pair of Tom's Shoes, and um, one is given to a place of need. Do you know the founder of that? The founder of that, how he came up with that idea is he was in Argentina, and, I, and it, it was either business or just visiting, but he was in Argentina, and he realized all the children there walking around in bare feet, going around bare feet, and he's there like noticing some of the muck, some of the dirt that they're going through, the problems that they're going to have, possibly infections and stuff like that. And he came back and he started that idea. You know what? I'm going to start a shoe company. I'm going to build shoes. And for every shoe we sell, we're going to give one away. And companies now do that, don't they? There are companies that are built around that idea. There's a sock company. Buy one sock, we will give one away. We give socks away to somebody that needs it. It's a change. It's people that see something and they realize that it's needed. A change is needed and they jump on board and they become a part of that. For you and I, maybe it's not changing the world through shoes, changing the world through giving socks. Maybe it's not changing the world through, you've, um, f- through uh, world vision. Maybe it's something as simple as Toya Graham, right? Maybe it's seeing the need right there in my own family. Maybe it's seeing the need right there down the street from me. Maybe it's seeing the need right here in your church and saying, you know what? I am going to step out. I'm going to be emboldened to go forward. And while I might have fear in my life, I want to be filled with bravery. And God, I'm going to ask you to help me. And that's the story that we're going to look at this morning as we talk about this idea of the good work. Why? Because we believe that we are in the process of changing lives, right? Life change. Taking people who are dead and lost in the trespasses of their sins, all right? People who are without God and bringing them to this saving knowledge of a God who died for them in the very condition that they're in. And that's what we want to be about as a church. That's what we want to be about as individual people and what we want to grab a vision of, what we want to grab hold of and have the boldness to step forward and do and have the bravery to step forward and do. And it exists in every one of us. Why? Because bravery isn't the absence of fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage and bravery, they're being able to act in spite of the fear that's there. Um, I was listening to a speaker this week talk about this idea. Do you know the only people that don't have fear? They're dead. He said, everybody has fear. Just some people are able to overcome it. They're able to conquer it. They're able to get over it. But he's there like, the only person that doesn't have fear are the people that are already dead. So, uh, so if you are here and I think you are, all right? If you are here, that means that you are still alive, and that means that there are things that scare us. But we also have a God who is able to do great things, and that is what we are going to look at this morning as we look at this passage in Nehemiah. I would encourage you, if you have your Bible, you want to turn to Nehemiah. Um, Nehemiah is in, the, is, is in our Old Testament. It is, a, it is actually, um, it's, if you go to Psalms, if you're, if you're curious, open to about the middle, go to Psalm. Back up a handful of pages, Nehemiah 13 chapter book right there. We will have a number of the verses up here. I'm going to read a little prayer that takes place in Nehemiah as well. But I, I just want you to know, as we take a look at this idea of Nehemiah, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a history here, um, just so that you know when Nehemiah has taken place. Nehemiah has taken place a little over 400 years prior to the time of Christ. Four, it's right around 444, 446 BC. So somewhere in that range there. And Nehemiah is really, historically, if you, if you, want, to go, if you want to go historically in a timeline, 
It's probably the final book in our New Testament. Esther might be a little bit later, but if you start at Genesis and you work forward, all right, through our Old Testament, right, we're all, we all start with a book. We open up here and the beginning's here and the end's here, and we're just used to that. Our Old Testament doesn't always work like that. Um, and, the, and the reason I say that is because it's organized in different ways in the first, the first books, Genesis through uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, they are all kind of, kind of chronological, in a lot of ways chronological. There are some ways they're not. But Genesis, right through that, Ezra, Nehemiah, um, Esther is chronological, starting with the beginning of time in Genesis and going to about 444 BC with Nehemiah right there. Esther may be a little bit later. It's right in that range. Um, Esther may have taken place during the time of Ezra as well, which is a little bit before. Anyway, just setting you up for a little bit of the understanding of time. You're there like, I don't know what you just said. Uh, I, I don't know. But um, anyway, hopefully you do. Hopefully, hopefully I get that across to you. Nehemiah. When we go with the timeline, it is right near the end. It's the last thing that we are going to see from our Old Testament. So I guess that's what I'm trying to communicate to you. So as we look at this passage of Scripture, the nation of Israel, all right, God's chosen nation, the people that he carried off. Remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about Abraham? Abraham, are you going to go? You're going to go to this country? God built from Abraham a great nation. They became a mighty nation. They became a world power under the, kings, uh, under the kingship of David and Solomon. But then after that, the, the nation divided, and after it divided, it became a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Northern was Israel, the southern kingdom was Judah. And yet, because of the sin of those nations, God carried them off into captivity. And last week, when we ta talked about Daniel, uh, and part of that, Daniel would have been just a little bit earlier, probably a generation earlier than what we're looking at here with Nehemiah. So when we get to Nehemiah, we are near the end of a, a nation has been a great it has taken the tumble down the other side, and now the, the nation, that nation of Israel, the children of, of God, the, 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 all, the, all the Jews around the land, they are now spread around the then known world because their nation had been torn apart. And when we get to the book of Nehemiah, there is a group that has already gone back under Ezra, and they have rebuilt the temple. But now something else is going to occur, and that's where we pick up the story with what we are talking about here with Nehemiah. And we want to start with these words right here. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the, the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. And he continues on from there in verse 2, and he says, the, um, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about to, uh, and also about Jerusalem. And he continues, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. As we look at this passage, I want you to know that Nehemiah probably has never been to Jer Jerusalem. But he has, he has some, of his, some of his relatives, some of those that are, that are among him. They have gone back to Jerusalem, and they're bringing back. And, and Nehemiah is there, hey, what has taken place back in our homeland? Right? They have been out of that for well over 100 years now. The, the nation of Israel, the, well, Judah, the southern kingdom, has been booted out for well over 100 years now as come, time comes to Nehemiah. And Jerusalem had been beaten down. And remember, a city that has no walls, a city that is beaten up, has no protection in that time. Anybody is going to come in and they are just going to ransack. They're going to steal. They're going to take. They're going to do whatever they can with the people there or with the, whatever the products are there. All right? They're going to come and just take away because it's a beaten down area. 
And this is, and this is what they have said to him. Um, those that have survived in exile, they're back in the province. They're in great trouble and disgrace. And the response for Nehemiah could have just been one of, ah, it's tough luck. They should have stayed over here in Persia where I am, and they'd all be all right, right? That's, that's what he could have thought. But he didn't think that. He, says, he continues with these words, when I heard... When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, Nehemiah's heart was broken over something that he saw. He didn't see it with his physical eyes, but he saw it because the story was brought to him. The picture was painted for him. What was his homeland like now? It was destroyed. It was torn apart. And his heart was broken. And he knelt and he prayed. And, and I just want you to hear these words that I pray that as, as I read this. I'm just going to read this prayer to you because these are the words that he says. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive um, and your eyes open to the prayer of this, your servant. He humbles himself in prayer. And he continues on with that prayer. And you know what he prays? He asks for forgiveness, not only for himself, but he says, forgive our nation, forgive our people of the sins that we've committed against you, O God. But would you allow us to be restored? And he continues all the way down to verse 11, and he says these words here, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Lord, please hear. I, I, I am your servant. I want you to hear my prayer. Hear my words. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. As he says those words, he's, he's saying a prayer and he's saying, Lord, I want you to grant me success in the presence of of a man. Because he's about to go and he's about to do something spectacular. And if you know who Nehemiah is, you know the rest of the story here as to what he does. But if you're not familiar with Nehemiah, Nehemiah had a very important job. And his job was this right here. I was cupbearer to the king. Right? As the cupbearer to the king. He had a pretty important position, but also a rather disposable position, correct? Think about it. When you're the cupbearer of the king, all right, it's important, but it's also somebody that we can do without if things don't go so right, right? He's the one that's going to test the food. Why? Because there's always attempts to kill, there's always attempts to kill the king. So um, yeah, you get to taste everything first. Make sure that nothing's poisoned. Make sure that you're not going to die. So it's important, but um, it's rather disposable. You can be done away with rather quickly. I was cupbearer to the king. You know, it may have been enough for Nehemiah to say, I, I'm taken care of. I have a pretty cushy job. And uh, yeah, it has its dangers, but I have a good life insurance policy and I'm well taken care of. Um, I don't know if he had life insurance. I was just joking, all right? I was saying that to make sure you're still here with me, okay? Um, 
That's strike one. All right, there you go. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like a Phillies reliever right now up here. Mets fans, they never know how to behave. It's understandable. Anyway, anyway, I, I digress. I digress. You guys know that I like sports too much. I have issues. Um, I, I, where were we? We were something with a cupbearer somewhere in Nehemiah. No, we're with this, right? right? But, but as, as Nehemiah, he had this idea that he could look back and he could just say, well, it's a shame that things are bad over there. But instead, he's catching a vision. He's catching an idea. He's catching something that maybe there's something that I can do. Maybe there's something out there that I can be a part of. And when it comes to being individuals who want to be about the good work, when it comes to being individuals who realize that Christ died so that the world would be changed, so that the, and, and we want to become a part of that, we want to become a part of that mission that God has in, in, our, in our church and in our lives, are there things that we can start to think about that work in our lives? Just like those names of the individuals that I mentioned before, changing and starting world vision. What, what, what is it that I'm curious about? That's a place to start. Are there things that you're curious about in your life? When you look around and see ministry and you're there like, hey, you know what? I, I'm, I'm really interested in this. Is it something that you're curious about? Maybe there's something that you see in, in the world that, that, you're, that you realize there's a need. If you've ever met somebody who, who, is for, is, who is for adoption, right? They become passionate about it, and they, they, they want to get other people on board with them. Why? Because they see that there is a need of adopting little babies, of adopting children. Talk to somebody that's, that's a foster parent. They realize there's a need, and they become curious, and suddenly they're stepping out in faith, and they're saying, you know what? I want to do this. I want to help why? Because I can be, become part of a solution. I don't know. That may not be, neither one of those may be what is in your mind, but there's something that stirs in your mind that you're curious about. There's something that when it comes to the ministry that God is doing, you're there like, hmm. Maybe it's just your friends. If you're a teen, maybe it's your friends at school. I'm kind of curious. How do I share my faith in a school that is broken, in a system that sometimes seems broken, and where we're not supposed to talk about God, and where we're all, oh, we can't ever, Right? Maybe it's as an adult seeing friends around you and saying, you know what, I've got these friends. But there's a curiosity that wells up in you and you want to serve and you want to reach out. What do we do when we have that curiosity? Some of us, we, we think of different things all the time, right? Some of you, you, may think of a, you might think of 10 different ideas a day, right? You're like, hey, I got a great idea. Uh, and then it slips through your mind. Hey, I got another great idea. And it just keeps going, different ideas, different ideas. But sometimes an idea catches and it burns a little fire and it catches hold in your heart. And you say, you know what, I want to follow through with that. And I ask that question, the next question of this right here. Not only are what are you curious about, but what breaks your heart? What need is it that you see? You see, sometimes we have all these curiosities in our heart and we're like, hey, we want to feed the world. We want to take care of every kid. We're like, hey, I want to do everything. And we realize I, I can't do it all. But sometimes there's a need that you catch that you see, that breaks your heart. And our story, Nehemiah heard from those that had come back and gave him a report of Jerusalem and how it was torn down, how those that lived there, they were in trouble. They weren't well taken care of. There was rubble all throughout the city and they were in trouble. His, follow, his, his fellow... Um, his fellow family members, his fellow, the fellow Jews, the fellow nation that had returned and gone back to Jerusalem... They're in trouble. And Nehemiah 
sees there's something in his heart. And he says, you know what, maybe there's something that I can do. Nehemiah continues on with something else because we haven't got to this part yet, but we're going to see it in just a minute here. But he goes on with this, and it's, it becomes a God-sized vision in his life, in your life, and in my life. What is it that you're curious about? What is it that you're like, hey, I'm wondering about this. What, is it that, what are the needs that you see? What is the need that breaks your heart? And then what is it that you can establish as a God-sized vision in your life and say, you know what? I'm pretty sure I can't do this, but I think God can. I'm pretty sure I can go about, I I might not have the power to do this. Let me go back to World Vision again and talk about that, right? Did he ever think? I I can't imagine he thought when he gives that $5, when he starts giving the $5, that it's going to become something that spreads all around the world, right? If we were to look at him, we'd say, whoa, 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 wait, 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 you don't have the resources. You don't have the people to do something like this. You can't do this on your own. What are you thinking? You can't get this done. We're going to need to build a whole team to get this started. Well, and we can't even find the people to do that. And then we're going to have to get money. We're going to have to raise all kinds of money. We can't do that. Think about, this. Think about this. Habitat for Humanity. You're familiar with that? Same story. Saw that there were people around the world that needed houses. And what did they do? Just started, you know what? We, we can't do it for everybody, but we can start here. And they started the process, and I believe it's over 800 and some odd thousand houses. It might be more by now. I can't remember what that number But the number is, is absurd of just something that started small. You don't have the resources to build 870-some thousand houses. Well, yeah, we do. 800,000 plus houses and put people in them. You don't have the resources. Guess what they do? They've done it. You see, these ideas sometimes start small. What is the idea in your life that starts small in your life and starts to build and moves forward? What is it that breaks your heart? What are the needs that you see? What is the need that you see that breaks your heart and says, you know what, I want to do that. And like I say, it does not always have to be that. Sometimes it is your child. Boldness, determination that we want to have for a God-sized vision. Um, When we look at a God-sized vision, don't settle. Don't just, settle for, don't just settle for insignificant, all right? Don't settle for, you, you know what, I, I just want to get a little, I want to make a little bit more money, all right? That's my God-sized vision. Uh, I get a 10% pay raise, so I'm going to work real hard. That's a good thing. I'm not insulting that, but don't settle for something insignificant. Change your world. Look, what's going to change the course of your family? What's going to change the trajectory, the trajectory of the things that you work, the testimony, the outreach that you have at your work? Remember, we need God every step along the way. If we are going to do something in God's name, we want to have him right with us. And then what is the one step I can take toward that vision? What's one step that you can start to take towards that vision? You know, I, I mentioned boldness and having bravery. And, and sometimes we don't all think that, uh, I don't have that. I can't do that. Let me, let me give you an illustration that I, that I think can help you. Um, because I, 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 I think this will catch us all. Um, or at least, hopefully. You ever seen a middle school student who wants a phone? Are they suddenly bold? Are they, are, they suddenly, are they suddenly focused? Right? There's suddenly clarity in your life. Or how about this? Take a young man who wants a car. Right? Maybe, maybe it's not the phone, but maybe for some of you it's there. Yeah, a car. I, I think I'd like a car. Are they suddenly clear on what, they're fo- on what it is they want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got clarity. Right? Are they, are they suddenly focused? Yeah, they're, they're very focused. Are they determined? Oh, yeah. Dad, maybe you can buy it for me. 
Okay, dad, you won't. Ma'am, mom, maybe mom will. No, mom won't. So go with either one. Go with the phone, a car, whichever one it is. We want to buy the phone because that's cheaper, right? Um, we think, anyway. Plus, you can spread that out on a plan forever. Now, anyway. A- anyway. Suddenly, that individual can become so focused. They can become clear. They have a clarity of vision. They can be, excuse me, they can become determined. And you know what they are suddenly? They're resourceful. Right? Hey, I'll save a few dollars for it. Uh, how about 50-50? How about if we go half and half? Right? You see, when we get clarity, when we get a determination, when we get something in our minds, and you know that because you know that you have been there in your life as well, where there is something that you've determined that you wanted, and suddenly the boldness and the clarity were right there, and the focus were, was exactly what you wanted to get onto it, and you were able to push forward. But sometimes we let things back hold us back. Look at what happened with Nehemiah. And uh, we're going to take a look down through here of chapter 2 of Nehemiah. It says this, in the month of Nisan. By the way, this is about four months later that we're talking about right here. So it's not that, it's not that Nehemiah went right away, but he rather he continued in prayer. And about four months later, in the month of, of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. That, that, past, that, that verse right there always amazes me because I, I just think it is so neat that Nehemiah is there. I hadn't been sad in his presence before. He hadn't seen me downcast. He hadn't seen me broken in his presence before. I had always walked in chipper. I had always walked in happy. And yet this time I walk in sad and the king noticed it. By the way, this is the king. He doesn't have to care. I don't really care what your problem is, Nehemiah. You're supposed to take care of me. Cheer up, or we have ways of, getting, of taking care of you, all right? And we can replace you, right? He's the king. But yet at that time, he, he's just there like, hey, he notices it and takes notice of it. I was very much, look at what, this is what Nehemiah says. I was very much afraid. Hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nehemiah, you're a great Old Testament Bible character. You guys weren't afraid. You were bold. You were brave. You were always stepping forward. You were ready to go. No, no, no. Nehemiah was just like us. He was a person like us. Guess what? With fears. He was allergic to death. All right? He didn't like that idea. He was afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, all right, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Look at that. Right in the midst of that, the king looks at him and says, what is it that you want? What, what do you want? And, and Nehemiah gives us the detail. So, so when he asked me what I wanted, I prayed to the God of heaven. I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king. Right? I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. The next verses there continue on, and they tell the story of how not only is he going to go, uh, let me just read them quickly. Then the king, uh, along with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. He continues, I also said, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in 
Judah. And may I have a letter, all right? May I have a letter to Ashba, uh, keeper of the royal park, so that he will let me have the timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Look at everything that took place right there. When Nehemiah had this dream, he had this vision. He was curious about what was going on back in, in Jerusalem. And when he was told the story about what was going on in Jerusalem, his heart was broken and his heart was moved. And he said, what is it that I can do? And he said, like, you know what? I can go in and I can talk to the king. And suddenly the king gives him every resource that he's going to need. He had access to the king. And in having access to the king, he had access to the needs that that city would have. And the king provided him with the access. The king provided him with everything that he needed. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. The story of Nehemiah is a great story. It's a great story of leadership. It's a great story of an individual who had a passion, who had a fire, who had a desire to see something change. But it is a story of a man who realized that he had access to the king. In your life and in my life, we have access to a king. You know, we may sometimes prefer that we had access to the president or that we had access to somebody that's high in political power, but we have access to the God of the heavens and earth. And who knows? Who knows? But if we ask, maybe his gracious hand will be upon us. What is it? What is it that you're curious about? What is it in this world that, that breaks your heart, that you're there like, you know what? Maybe if I got involved in that, I could change it. We could start a change. doesn't mean everybody has that same passion. Not everybody has the same exact passions. They don't. But guess what? Maybe the gracious hand of our God, maybe having access to the King of Kings, he would act on our behalf. I want to encourage you to come and be a part of this series, The Good Work. Why? Because we believe that God is in the process of changing the hearts and minds of people. And we want you to be a part of that. What is it that you can go to the king for and ask for access to? Because he has the resources to do what it is that he will do through his grace. Close with me if you would in prayer. God, as we close our time this morning, Lord, I want to say thank you. Thank you that you are gracious. And thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. But what I do want to ask, Lord, is that you would encourage each one of us in this room. You see, Lord, each one of us have something that we desire in life. God, I want to ask that you would turn those desires to be desires of yours. Not that our desires would become what you want, but Lord, that our desires would become more like your desires.
And the Lord, we would get on board with what it is that you are doing. And that God, our hearts would be broken for the things that break your heart. And the Lord, where we see needs, we would step forward in boldness. And not with the absence of fear, Lord, but with courage that overcomes that fear. And say, God, we want to do what it is that you're calling us to do. I say thank you for each of the individuals that are here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would bless and encourage them in their walk this week. Why, God? Because you are a gracious God. And you know that we are a needy people. And yet, Lord, you still choose to work through people every day, normal people like us. And we say thank you for that. So God, I pray your blessing. I pray that we might realize that we have access to a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, think, or imagine in your church through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen.